wasn't it? So close. Uh, that was Matt Hart her building that was uh, not responsible for that. Might have been Bazza rather than Matt, but uh, the domino effect isn't it? It's interesting if we start one thing, it goes all the way along. Uh, I think it was pretty impressive, wasn't it, as it came back as well and set in line. Um, but that's what happens, doesn't it? It's amazing, the domino effect. Uh, it's great to see on a clip like that, but it also happens in life. Uh, one thing will happen in your life, and then the next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing, and it all goes along, and suddenly, bang, you get to a spot, and you think, how on earth did we get to here? How did we make it to this position? How did we get either good or bad, don't you? Sometimes you think, wow, we got to this, how did we manage this amazing situation we got? Or, wow, how did we end up in this particularly bad situation? And we can often go back, can't we, to think about the one thing that kicked that off. Well, in the story of God, the Bible, and us, uh, this Bible in 10, there's actually been a lot of domino effects been happening. Uh, something from the very beginning set it off, didn't it? Adam and Eve uh, together decided they could run the world better than that. Set off a domino effect that continued to run through history and continues to run today. Uh, we're going to be seeing too that today that that domino effect runs into uh, the life of a guy called Solomon. Uh, and then we're going to see the domino effect of some of his choices and where they go. And then we're going to think about how that relates to you and I today. Uh, we're in a great part of the Bible. If you remember uh, a couple of weeks ago, if you can go back that far in your memory, we'd got to David, King David. He looked like he was the King of Kings. He looked like he was going to be the one that was going to be the king that's to rule over all the nations. Uh, everything looked like it was good. God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's what it looked like. It looked like the promises back to Abraham were going to be fulfilled. Maybe this is the guy that in Genesis 3 that crushes the serpent's head. Maybe he's going to be the one. But that at the end of last week we heard that actually God said, no, he's not. But a son of his will be. And so this week we get to hear about the son of David, Solomon. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, open them up or you can watch on the screen. We're going to go from so a little bit of a longer Bible reading today, but from 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23 through to chapter 11, verse 10. And Nat's going to come and read that for us. Is that one on? Thanks, Nat. If anyone's got the Black Pew Bibles, it's on page 246 if you want to follow along. Starting from verse 23. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, 
robes, weapons and spices, and horses and mules. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariots with him in Jerusalem. <laughs> the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone and seed Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were also from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I would not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Is that, did I go too far, sorry? It helps. Not bad. Apologies for what our sound system, it's not the sound guys, by the way. It's the system at the moment, we're just uh, a bit unsure what's going on with it. So apologies for that, hopefully we won't get too much more feedback. Uh, so there we are. Uh, David's son supposed to be the one that's going to bring it all about and is Solomon the one is uh, Solomon going to be the one he starts out really well doesn't he He has wisdom and everyone loves him he builds the temple for God uh, he builds this fantastic place for where God will be it looks like he's going to be great he even names things and people come to him uh, he names animals and people come to him to wise sayings even the Queen of Sheba came to him. If you go back in uh, chapter 10, a little bit further, we hear that the Queen of Sheba came to him, I think maybe out of a bit of a lust, but also out of wisdom and the power and everything that Solomon had throughout the known world. He was the King of Kings. He was seen as being the great king. But what happens to him? Uh, the, the, the nations are coming to him people are praising him it looks like he's going to have it all together but it doesn't quite work out that way does it is he going to be the king that establishes his kingdom and his rule forever for eternity well no uh, dear old Solomon uh, I shouldn't say dear old Solomon but uh, uh, the wisdom of Solomon the wealth of Solomon you often hear of that uh, Solomon was the wise one that when two people came to him with a baby and decided what wanted to do with the baby, uh, he said, well, cut it in half and each of you can have half. And they decided, no, no, the right one came forward. So often people talk about the wisdom of Solomon. And so he was a really famous king back in those times, but Solomon went from being a great king of the people and leading the people 
to actually wanting to be king and God over the people. Uh, when we read through, we find out that uh, it looked like he would have been given us the roadmap to show how things were going to go. And Solomon should have known the roadmap. Not that he had a GPS like that. But what Solomon had was he had the Word of God. He had the first five books of the Bible. And so he had those books of the Bible. He should have known what was the right way to go. And he should have known what the type of king he should have been. So back in the first five books of the Bible, we uh, have this section called the Law. Uh, And if you're reading uh, Deuteronomy and Exodus... Uh, around those ones uh, and numbers you'll get a whole lot of what that's about this is how God gave the instructions for his people to live in the land of how they were supposed to live when they got to the promised land so Solomon should have known this and Solomon should know that in that time listen to what happens that when there is a king what it will be like so back in Deuteronomy chapter 17 now this is hundreds of years before Solomon and David, God knows that his people are going to ask for a king. And so he says, doesn't he? He says, you're going to ask. You're going to say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. And this king is supposed to be in a certain way and do certain things. And so he goes on in Deuteronomy, he says, the king, moreover, must not acquire a great number of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. What happened? Well, Samuel has 12,000 horses. Uh, And not only are they 12,000 horses, but he gets them from Egypt as well. So if Solomon had the wisdom, he should have seen what he did, but he did the opposite. Now, horses back in those days were seen like the aircraft carriers or nuclear weapons of today. They were like the number one fighting machine. Uh, If you wanted to have a fighting machine, you needed a horse. So if you had 12,000 of them, it was pretty good, wasn't it? And so here we go. God says back in Deuteronomy, God says in his word, this is not the way to go. What does Solomon do? No, he goes the opposite. Uh, This king must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. What does Solomon do? Uh, all the king's goblets were gold and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. He collected gold everywhere. And not only that, but the silver, silver was seen as nothing. And they had so much of it. Well, everyone had silver. So that's not that precious anymore. So what's he done? Don't have horses. Well, he's got 12,000 of them. Don't get them from Egypt. That's where he gets them from. Don't hoard up so much gold for you. Don't get sucked in by the money. You know, all that's there. What does he end up? All more gold than you could possibly imagine. Even silver. Silver's common as they come. But he doesn't stop there, does he? Uh, He goes on and he says that he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. 700 wives. 300 concubines. Man, there would have been plenty of sex, but there would have been nothing else, would it? I mean, it just thousands of them. Imagine it. Man, it's hard enough looking after one wife, I reckon. What about thousands of them? Seven hundred of them. Just crazy stuff. And that they will lead him astray. You see, not only did Solomon marry 
people who God said were his family, but he went outside. He went and married people outside of God's family. He went out into people who followed other gods. He took them from all the nations around. And what did he do? He got sucked in, didn't he? He got sucked in by the money, by the power, by the sex. All those things gravitated around him and he got sucked into them. And he went from being a god, a king that God chooses to live the way, in the way of wisdom, to a, a king who decided to run his life his way and that he doesn't want to just be king, but he wants to be God, to lead people his way. You see, where God's king is or where God's king goes, God's people go. The king set the tone for everything, didn't he? As Lynn said from the front, he was the one that decides everything. Where the king goes, his people go. And the domino effect flows on. And the domino effect keeps going. And we find that he actually ends up uh, not only doing that, but he intermarries with other people and he, he then sets up Asherah poles and starts to worship other gods. At the end of that reading, he bows down to other gods. He forgets or has the one god of Israel to the side there. Well, I'll hold on to him. I've still got the temple, but I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going to have other gods over here. Oh, yeah, 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 I follow this god, but look, I'm going to just uh, play around a bit on the edges here. Well, you can't play around on the edges with God. And when you're God's chosen king, it's even more dangerous. You see, although he'd forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's commands. He had God's word, but he decided he knew better than God. He saw that it was good, he saw that it was delightful, and he took and he grabbed and he ate. What does that sound like? It's Adam and Eve, isn't it? They looked at it. It was desirable. They took it. They eat it. And they're cast away from the presence of God. Solomon does the same. Solomon sees it. It's desirable. And he grabs it and he goes for it. And uh, he takes it on. And the thing with Solomon, and it's not just the way it's been, isn't it? Uh, Solomon... Uh, is, is in the line of what happened with Adam and Eve, but Solomon is also in the line of his father David. So where he goes, where he goes, the kingdom goes. And God knows that. And so God says to him, I'm going to take your kingdom away. That's the last part that Nat read. Uh, he's going to take, he's going to tear the kingdom away. And you see, we believe that the first people that were reading this story uh, written down specifically were the people who were in exile. So this is the Israelites, the people of God who've been taken out of their country, they're sitting in exile, they're wondering what's going on and they're going back and reading and here they find out what went wrong. Here they find out where Solomon went wrong and how they've ended up where they are. Now in the next couple of weeks we're going to look at exile. We're going to see God's people not in God's place, not under God's rule and they're struggling. And it comes back to here. The domino effect of what happened with Solomon dominoes down and impacts 
the people of God for centuries. Uh, but that doesn't just start there either, did it? Uh, this domino effect included started with David, uh, Solomon's father. Uh, and it's all sin, isn't it? It all comes back to us wanting to live our way, deciding that we know what's good rather than God knows what's good. We don't trust that God's good, so therefore we reach for it ourselves. Now, dear old King David that we heard about a couple of weeks ago uh, wasn't much better than dear old King Solomon, even though in me reading he said he wasn't the same as David. David has, has his moments as well. And David's, what he does has consequences and flow-ons as well. Uh, David himself uh, was in a situation where he was at rest. Remember back from the last, he was settled, he was at rest, looked like everything was going well for him. Uh, but when people go to rest, sometimes their minds go other places, don't they? I actually don't think too much rest is really that good for us. We've got to keep active. And David is a good example of that because David's at rest, he's, he's not at war, he's not out there, he's not having to be in the front there, he's not with his army, he's at home, he's relaxing, he's spending a whole lot of time relaxing and while he's at home relaxing, his mind starts to race and then he starts to look at other things around the place and he goes up onto the roof and he has a bit of a look across from the roof and he looks over to the other side and he sees something that is beautiful, that is desirable and that he wants. He looks across the roof and he sees this gorgeous woman called Bathsheba. Pleasing to the eye. Desirable. She's gorgeous. And she's bathing on top of a roof feeling that she is safe. No shame. She feels like she's completely safe. She's in a place where she can be who she is. But yet in that situation, someone is looking and bringing shame. David looks across, he sees, he wants, and he grabs. Because the king can have anything, you see. The king decides, I want her. And he takes her. And he sleeps with her. And not only is she beautiful and gorgeous and desirable, but she's married. You read the story of David. If you read through the story of David, and we read it because we know a little bit of the ending, but as, you, as you're reading through it, you think, yes, David, yes, David. Don't do it, David. Don't do it. It doesn't end well. Don't go there. Yes, she's beautiful. She's desirable. You want her, but don't go there. This is only going to get worse for you. He says, no, I need her. And I want her, I desire her, and I can have her, so I'm going to get her. And he has her, and he abuses her. And there's immediate shame. Immediate shame. And David doesn't stay there, does he? David continues on, and he thinks, oh no, what, what am I going to do here? She's married. And she actually gets pregnant, and so it, it, it snowballs. And then he thinks, well, he's her husband, Uriah, who's actually in the army. I'm going to pull him back, get her, him to come and actually, well, he'll sleep with her. She will think that, and the people will think that it's his 
child, not hers, and it'll be okay. Well, Uriah's a great guy. He comes back, and because his army's not out, not back, and they're out there still on the front line protecting Israel, he says, I can't sleep with my wife if my men can't sleep with their wives. He's a strong bloke, isn't he? I couldn't do that. And he says, I'm not going to. He's, a, he's an honourable guy. So what does David do? He thinks, oh, no, this is even getting worse. So what's he do next? Well, he gets Uriah killed. He actually sends him to the front line, gets his army to pull back, leaves him there, and he gets killed. David thinks, I've covered it all up. The shame I've covered up of, a, of me abusing this, this lady Bathsheba. I've covered that up. Oh, I've covered up the fact that she's pregnancy by getting him, her husband in. No, well, I'll kill him. So it can all happen. And then I can marry her because then he's dead. Then she can be mine. It's just this snowball effect, domino effect, domino effect, domino effect. We need to take heed, don't we? Might look grass, might look greener. But the domino effect is shame and ugliness and abuse. And even though David tries to cover that up, we are reading about it over 3,000 years later. There is no place for God's people to cover up abuse. No place for it. We should never be the people who are accused of that. And we have, haven't we? Not us here personally but brothers and sisters who we know who are supposedly love Jesus have abused and they've covered and shame and sin is terrible. And David covers up. But the amazing thing is that in this sin, when God comes to David and speaks through his prophet to him and outlines what he's done, David is broken and repentant and restored and made whiter than snow and that's where we see that God is after God's own heart and that's the response that we should have isn't it you see we try to cover don't we we try to cover up things and we go after the things the shiny things the power the money all those things still grab us today don't they still get to us today uh, and we want to go after them but that's not the story that God wants for you and I. That's not the story that he wants us to live. And we may be in that story at the moment. The domino effects may have hit us and we might be feeling like we're in that story. Uh, we may be the abused. We may be the abuser. We may be the one that attempted to go in all these directions. We may be lost. Uh, but God wants a different story for you and I. Because God's got a different king for you and I. You see, the king that... Uh, David didn't fulfill, was going to be his son. We thought it was Solomon. He doesn't fulfill. God brings about the one true king. The king who doesn't go after the money, who doesn't go after the sex, who doesn't go after the power, the one who actually hangs on the cross naked and ashamed for us. He's the new Adam. Solomon looked like it. David looked like it, didn't he? But none of them fulfilled it. Only Jesus does. You see, because Jesus' kingdom is the only kingdom 
that we want to be part of and the only kingdom of righteousness, you see. But seek first his kingdom, Matthew 6 says, doesn't it? It's Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is the one true king who comes into this world and is after God's own heart and lives after God's own heart. Because Satan wants to try and tempt him. Satan wants to try and tempt him with these things too. If you go to Matthew chapter 4, the devil takes him out into the desert, sticks him on a high plane and says, this can be all yours. He tempts him with power, with money, all the things that he could have. But Jesus doesn't take it, does he? If you'll bow down and worship me, says the devil, then this can be all yours. And Jesus answers, he says, It's written that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Solomon looks, he sees, he takes... He knows what God's direction for him is. He knows what God's word is there for him to follow, but he decides to live his own way. He has the mapped out for him, but he goes off in a different direction, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus says God's word is the truth, and that's where we need to stay, with him, following him. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, to teach you that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus knows Deuteronomy, And he speaks that back to the devil. He knows God's word and he speaks it back to him. Don't get me wrong, the devil knows God's word just as well because the devil throws it back at Jesus. He throws comments out of the Bible at him, but Jesus is able to respond to him with God's true word. That's a great encouragement for us, isn't it? That we ought to know God's word so that we can throw it back as well. So when we're under the pressure of wanting to bow to the gods around us to be the king, to live our way, then we, when we know God's word, then we're able to read it and listen to it and God's spirit applies it to us and then we're able to make the good decisions so those dominoes don't end up crashing down. The king of the universe doesn't hoard money, doesn't seek power, doesn't get lured into sex with a thousand women, doesn't get taken by all that but the king of the universe who knows our shame and our pain goes to the cross in the ultimate shameful act. Naked, he is nailed to the cross to take all that has gone before him on himself. But he doesn't stay there, does he? He doesn't stay on the cross. He actually rises again and defeats that and comes out of it and says, if you come and follow me, then I will be the king that will lead you to eternity. I will be the king that will enable you to live a shameless life. I'm the king that will be able to... So you can be like that in the world around you. I'm the king that you ought to follow. Where God's king leads is where God's people go. And if we follow God's king, then we'll go in his direction. Because Jesus deals with our ultimate shame, with our sin. We can get caught in all that stuff, can't we? Uh, It does hit us and it is tempting. And there's times when we've stepped and we've gone. But Jesus deals with that. Our story... I'm not sure what your story is and where your story is at the moment. 
the dominoes have hit you throughout life. We've made choices, we've made decisions. Those domino effects have moved through and we are living in the consequences of those decisions that we've made and we will continue to be that way. But you see, God doesn't want us to stay in that. He wants us to come into a new story. He doesn't want us to stay in a story that is destroying us and pulling us apart. He wants to renew us and change us. He wants to give us a new story. We may be feeling that way. You may be feeling like you've either been abused or you've been the abuser. You may be feeling that you've stepped out of the bounds and gone across and you've been tempted by those things. You may be feeling that you're lost and you're unsure where you are and what you are to do and where you are to go. Your story could be all of those things. But God wants you to have a new story. He wants you to have a story that lives under the true king, living in his story, living for him. He gives us new life, doesn't he? Those domino effects that have happened before, he can come in and clear them up. He can change us. He can move us. He can show us when we're in the middle of all that stuff that seems to be mess going on around us or mess that's going around us or mess that we're in. We feel like we're being battered and torn apart. He wants to give you a new story in Him. Have I gone backwards or forwards? The good news is too, isn't it, that He wants us to come into his story and he enables us to come into his story. He says he welcomes us in. He holds out his arms to us. He says, all you need to do is trust me. Take me as your king. I will deal with your sin. I will deal with your shame. I will wipe out your sin. I will adopt you into my family. I will give you a new story, the story that is lived in my story and we'll travel in that story together. It's wonderful, isn't it? God says that he doesn't leave us alone in the story. This doesn't give us a new story and say we're part of it, but he actually travels with us in it. Jesus says you'll never be alone. And in that story, he's also given us a map to help us within that. He's given us his word. Solomon knew the story. He knew the map. He decided to step outside of it. And the domino effect is devastating. We've got the whole story. We don't just have Deuteronomy that Solomon had. We have the whole story. We have God's story from um, Adam and Eve, from Genesis to Revelation. We have the story that God has mapped out for us. So we want to get into that story. We want to know that story. We want to understand that story. And that's why we encourage you to have that Read Scripture app. To get into God's story. Because when you know God's story and understand where you're in that story, then you want to live that story. God's people follow God's king, don't they? Where God's king goes, God's people go, and Jesus is God's king. We follow him, then we leave where he goes. And we know where he goes when we read his word. And his Holy Spirit enables us to understand that and, and transforms us to enable us to live that. I was only thinking about this the other day and I was thinking, in one sense, it's a bit like your phone, isn't it? Uh, on your phone, you have just about everything these days. It's the guide to just about everything, isn't it? It's all there on your phone. And if you look at your phone, you can find just about anything. You can Google anything, you can go to Maps, you can find just about anything you want. It's all on there. And then you can have it there, but then you've got this great thing underneath it if you've got an Apple phone called Siri. And so when you want to really find stuff, you say, Siri, find this for me. So in a sense, Siri's like the Holy Spirit, isn't it? You know, you ask the Holy Spirit to help you find it, and there is your Siri, where can I get this? 
Now, Siri doesn't always get it right, and sometimes you have to wait for Siri. But the good thing is the Holy Spirit never gets it wrong, but sometimes you do have to wait for the Spirit to help you show you that place. But that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit takes God's Word and applies it to our lives and transforms us to live it. Because Jesus is the true King. David, wasn't it? Solomon wasn't the one. But Jesus is. And his, he is the King and we want to be part of his story. He wants to rewrite your story. He wants you to join in to his story by putting your trust in him and living as him, with him as your king. Because you see, where the heart of God's king goes, so God's people go. If we're with the king, he has the true heart. If we follow the king, then we'll go where God wants us to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, Lord, uh, the Old Testament is sometimes really hard to work our way through and understand, but uh, when we see it as part of your story and the bigger story of your son Jesus, who's the true king, we see, Lord, how it keeps pointing us back and back to him. It keeps taking us back to putting our lives in his control, to live as him as king in our lives, Lord keeps taking us back to Jesus as the true king, the true fulfilment of all God's promises, the one who is the one story that we want to be part of, the true story, Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that we won't go away from here uh, holding on to the things that bind us and hold us back and keep us from living with Jesus as our king in his story, Lord. Uh, remove our guilt, remove our shame, Remove our stubbornness. Take away, Lord, those things that are shiny that want to grab our attention. And Lord, take us by your Spirit to hand our lives over completely to Jesus. Pray that you'll enable us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.